Alright, so it's not the greatest open ever. We're going to work on that. I'm Jay, he's Keith. Hi. Hey, buddy. Jay Santos, Keith Break on the brand new Jay and Keith show as we are talking. This is just Santos' sidekick uh, rebranded since uh, I retired the sidekick and since he left. I am not your sidekick. That was not in my contract. Do you have a contract? I do have a contract. I did on Tuesday. All right. Who approved that? Did I approve that? I believe you did. Well, I've got some problems. So i got to do some work. All right. So here's what we're going to do today on Jay and Keith. We're going to talk a little Southern Conference. I'm going to give you some fun facts. We're going to do power rankings. We're going to break down all the games in the Southern Conference, or at least involving Southern Conference teams. Take a look around nationally what kind of intrigues me or Keith or both of us. Mm-hmm. We'll go bold predictions, but of course, we're going to spend a majority of the first 30 minutes or so of the pod talking about what is the game this weekend, ETSU and Chattanooga. It's getting a little love tonight on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, if you've not been paying attention, they've created a new FCS show, uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to air. And both head coaches, Rusty Wright of Chattanooga, George Quarles of ETSU, are going to be on that show. It's going to be one of the three or four featured games across FCS um, this weekend. And really, honestly, looking at it, not a ton of slates. This game's lost a little bit of luster. Obviously, ETSU off to a slow start. But still, you look at last year, the Commerce Championship kind of came down. Uh, between those two teams, ETSU was able to overcome the loss to Chattanooga. Chattanooga had a bad loss at the end of the year in league play, but ETSU looking for revenge. Chattanooga trying to uh, expand upon its dominance so far in FCS games, and that's the one thing that stood out to me in the three FCS games they've had, 40 points per contest. Now, they didn't score against Illinois, and not a great Big Ten team, and we can you know, maybe talk about that a little bit later, but still in the three – kind of peer games, if you will, 40 points per contest. Last year they averaged in FCS games 26 points per contest. So we know the defense has always been up there. ETSU and Chat were 1-2 and defensively in scoring defense last year. Guess what? They're 1-2 and in scoring defense this year. Also 1-2 and in rushing defense. They're very stout up front. Uh, Third down conversions, uh, holding opponents, ETSU was one. Chattanooga was two, but last week they fell a little bit because of the Illinois game to four. But still, it's very hard to convert third downs. When you hold teams rushing, you hold teams not converting well on third downs, and you're not giving up points, pretty simple math on why you're going to be a good football team. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, if 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 a team can't run the football on you, you make them one-dimensional where you know that your pass rushers only have to worry about getting to the quarterback and not, okay, what's the RPO key? Like You, you have to be responsible for the running back. You have to do this. You have to do that. Just go hit the quarterback. When Once you get to the point where a team has to throw the football against you and has to commit to the pass game and only the pass game, you can really create some havoc. So I think that's part of the strength of these two teams. And it's also why I think last year in particular, we saw a real strength in Chattanooga secondary because that was a group that was really, really strong for them. Uh, and that was partly because you have the SoCon pre- preseason defensive player of the year this year, Devontae Maxwell, who was right up front creating all kinds of havoc for every offense in the league. 15 interceptions in 11 games a year ago for that mm-hmm. secondary. Three interceptions this year through four. But you can get pressure with four or three. I mean, it just changes the game, right? You can drop seven in coverage every single time by not having a blitz. Now, Chattanooga will occasionally bring a blitz. But for the most part, they get enough pressure with four players that you don't have to. When you can sit back as a secondary and just know that, hey, these four guys are going to pressure the quarterback, and within a couple of seconds he's got to get rid of the football when maybe he doesn't want to or the timing's not right, then you're able to pounce on it. That was the one concern I had for Chattanooga coming in was the secondary. They just returned one starter. 
and they've given up a few plays in the past game this year that maybe they haven't in years past. But still, three interceptions in four games, you're almost averaging a pick a game. And in the three FCS games, they have a pick per contest. And Maxwell still was able to get the quarterback against Illinois. It still starts with defense for Chattanooga. Maxwell last year, uh, Devontae Maxwell was outstanding against the game against the Bucks. Five sacks, a school <laughs> record against ETSU a year ago from Maxwell. And ETSU lost Traymond Shorts. Big Fred is still not in the starting lineup. Certainly, if you're uh, Devontae Maxwell, you're licking your chops. And if you're head coach George Coral, your offense coordinator Adam Nugabauer, you're Tyler Rodell. Do you not have to identify where 90's at at all times? This is, for my offensive line, if I were the offensive line coach, we would have a Mulan-style training montage. Let's get down to business! I would I would show them, and particularly I would show my left tackle, Blake Austin, Devontae Maxwell, one-on-one in the game last year because they hunted that matchup a little bit. They hunted Maxwell and Austin a little bit. They liked that matchup. Show them why they liked it. Make him mad. And say, all right, you're mad. I'm mad. Nobody wants this to happen again. Let's go out. Let's have the best week of practice that we've had all year. And we make sure that it doesn't happen again on Saturday. I would be really committed to that. If I were my offensive line, I would have him circled. I would have a big, I'd have a fat head of him on the door. And every time you walk out the door of the meeting room, you lower a shoulder into that guy. And say, listen, we're not going to let this guy beat us. We are going to beat this guy on the line of scrimmage on Saturday. I think clearly if you can, you can't stop. I mean, Illinois couldn't stop him. If you can slow him down, you can do some things against him. If they allow Tyler Rydell to do some checks to get out of some fronts, certainly going to be successful. The question is, because Maxwell's going to make plays. I think you would be kidding yourself if you think. He's going to do something. Yeah. Right, that he's not going to have a tackle for a loss here. He's not going to have a quarterback hurry there. He's not going to hit the quarterback. He's not going to have a sack. I mean, he's going to have something. He's a player of the year preseason candidate for a reason he's on the NFL radars for a reason he's been invited to all kinds of games already people are wanting to see Devontae Maxwell at the next level and it's going to be hard pressed for ETSU to stop him now how do they work around it you know how can they do they always run away from him can they eventually attack him is there something they can do schematically to help out the team I think that's the the question for the offense the question of the day and here's the the bad thing if you're an ETSU fan and you're thinking, man, if we could just get around Maxwell, well, they've got 13 sacks as a squad. They've got three players with three or more sacks. Even though they're paying attention to Maxwell, he's got three and a half. There's two other guys that have three sacks. There's a couple other guys that have a sack. You're just sitting there thinking about it, and you can pay him all the attention you want, but all those other guys are slightly being disrespected, don't you think? Because they're sitting there going, they know they're going to take Maxwell. Nobody's going to guard me, and then all of a sudden – you know, here comes some of the uh, other folks. We talked about one half of this, right? We talked about the offensive line half of it already. What about the quarterback side of it? There is a growing school of thought in football that says sacks are a quarterback stat, a quarterback stat. That the quarterback needs to get the ball out sooner or needs to get out of the pocket sooner in order to avoid those sacks. We just saw Tyler Idell feel pretty confident tucking and running, stepping up under pressure. If he steps up through the rush and suddenly has some lanes to run, then you get UTC thinking twice about how fast they can come after him and how much they can time up the snap and how disciplined they have to be and patient they have to be at the line of scrimmage. I think the quarterback's going to play a role in this as well. And um, you can, if you're just keying on one guy, right, if you're just keying on Maxwell as the quarterback, 
right? Let your offensive line be motivated by this guy. But if you're the quarterback, you have to be aware of where the rush is going to come from because at some point, maybe not this game, maybe not even the next game, at some point, they are going to use Maxwell as a dummy to get those other guys better matchups to get them home, like you're talking about. So I would look at this and say, all right, we know what the offensive line needs to do. Offensive line job, pretty simple. Offensive line has a big glaring target. Quarterback needs to see the whole field, needs to see the whole rush, needs to anticipate where his opportunities are going to be, how fast the ball needs to come out, where he's going to have to take a couple of yards, where he's going to have to scramble, when he's going to have to improvise. Once he knows that, and we talked about this earlier this week with Rydell and his comfort level with this offense and pre-snap reads and making checks and moving the line around when he needs to, moving protections and whatever. When you get your quarterback to the position where he's comfortable doing that, this is the game where you need that to pay off for you because he's going to have to do it at the best level, the highest level he's going to do it all year. Ben Bruton on the outside, on the opposite of Maxwell, three sacks. Marlon Taylor, the nose guard, who was not in the starting lineup last year. He's the only new man in really the front four guys they use. Mm-hmm. This is a 3-3-5, three, three, really more than a 3-4 type defense. The rover, joker, whatever you want to call it, on the nickel back that is tr- basically an extra strong safety more than a cornerback for coverage. But the speed, that's the one thing for me. ETSU has great speed across the back seven, if you will. Mm-hmm. Eight, really, since it's a 3-4 set. But Chattanooga equals that. I mean, if you get or if you manage to get outside Bruton, Taylor, Maxwell, Person, Jones, Beck, Lowry, they all run. They got speed. They're physical. They make plays laterally. So that's what makes them so tough. The difference, I think, between the two defenses is really ETSU doesn't have a Devontae Maxwell. They haven't had a guy like that since Nasir player. And that's really, I think, the biggest difference. And no doubt Ben Bruton is a great player, and I'm not knocking Ben Bruton, but he certainly gets a chance to wreak havoc because Devontae Maxwell commands a lot of attention. And it is amazing to me just watching the North Alabama game, watching the Eastern Illinois game. I watched, for whatever reason, the Wofford game uh, when it actually happened. You are you are uh, part of the Sickos committee. I, 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 You're well, it's a league sicko. game. I, You're I, an honorary I, sicko. I, I agree. Why I watch their non-conference games is beyond me, but I watch all league games just so I can try to speak intelligently about every team. But it is amazing how different teams have tried to attack them. Now, if you can hold – and leave a pocket. Eastern Illinois was able to make plays downfield. Again, I try to throw out Illinois because that's a little bit of a different animal. But if the pocket holds up, mm-hmm. and a couple times Eastern Illinois rolled the pocket and was able to do some throwbacks and some creative plays, they're able to make plays in the secondary. Because let's be honest, if any quarterback has two and a half, three seconds, you know, at a Division One level, you think they should be able to find – you know, a hole in the defense depending on what it is. Now, that doesn't mean Chattanooga's not good enough to make coverage sacks, not good enough to do a pass breakup. But if you can figure out a way to do that, mm-hmm. then you can be successful. First down is where ETSU has been feast or famine. Yep. 17, 18% of the time they're getting a first down on first down. Still 47% of the time is two yards or less. You want to win on third down, you got to win on first down. Yep. ETSU has to find a way to do that, and they've got to be creative. I think ETSU is very aware of what happened last year. They've looked at the film. They know ETSU is not really a quick 
slant, strike type team. They want to be more vertical, but it would not shock me. Everything that Keith just said a second ago about quarterbacks getting the ball out of their hand would not shock me if a game plan is trying to get the ball in space with some athletes. And because of weather, which we've not even touched on, if it is a deluge, as is predicted by all the weather you know, apps and channels and everything that you want to tune into where you get your weather, it looks like no matter what time, Friday night, Saturday, or Sunday, there's going to be rain. Yep. Tyler Rydell's not particularly a big guy at 5'11". Uh, Matt Wilson would say this if he was here because he is 5'11", didn't have particularly great hands, uh, or big hands, I should say. And so when you get the wet ball, you got little hands, tough to throw that. So down the field, tough to chunk, quick throws there, plus you get a guy in space, and if you can get a guy in space on a short throw, and this goes both ways because short passing game is a very big integral part of Chattanooga's, which we'll flip to their offense in just a second. Mm-hmm. But if you can get it in space, right, the offense has a little bit of an advantage against the defense in that situation, especially in a short route, putting a foot in the ground and going because the offense knows where they're going, the defense doesn't, how's the footing work out, yeah. all that. But it's contingent on good snap, quick throw, and a catch, then see what happens. And we talked about this in the context of verticality, right? Because that that's what we want ETSU's offense to have. It's what we believe ETSU's offense is going to present. This game could also come down to who adapts to the weather better. You say 3-3-5 three, three, defense. That's a light box between the hashes that you could run against if you want to line up in 22 personnel, get you a tight end that comes out there as a fullback, and give it to sailors between the tackles and just grind on them and make them adapt to that. Because like you talk about, if this is something that you're preparing for on Wednesday, on Thursday, it's like, Hey guys, we're going to change it up a little bit because of the weather. We want to prepare for the elements and use the elements to our advantage. Uh, And I think your guys would rally around that. I think football players love to play in this, this sort of weather and they would rally around the idea of we're going to adapt to the elements uh, certainly very poetic, and football is a poetic sport, whether people uh, uh, think that or not. As violent as it is, it's a very poetic sport. Um, I would look at that and say, who's going to adapt to the conditions better, faster? And that goes not just for your offense, but also for your defense. And if you want to put Chattanooga on the back foot in, your, in ETSU's case, one way you could do that, you could choose to do that, is by throwing them an unscouted look with a heavy personnel package that leans on Jacob Saylor's vision and explosiveness and lets him do the the work of moving the ball down the field while you just get as many bodies as you can between the hashes and block, 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 and create those lanes. You look at the defense, and I agree, ETSU definitely much better and most teams when you run the football, especially when you got the offense player there and Jacob Saylor's got to try to get him space, try to get – him whatever advantage you can first three fcs games this year against wofford chattanooga gave up 97 yards mm-hmm. eastern illinois 77 north alabama 60 gave up 167 to illinois again you know slightly different animal but still you look at yet to give up a 100 yard rushing game not rusher uh, to an FCS opponent, but not even getting up 100 yards on the ground yet. Now, some of that also takes in consideration, which I wish the college football rule would change to match the NFL. They sack, sack yardage. Would, sack yardage would come off passing instead of rushing. 
it doesn't matter. Uh, they're not going to change it, or at least I don't believe they have. So I think sack yardage should be its own separate category. It's We have so much technology available to us now. We're smart enough that we can piece it all together. You don't have to put it in rushing yards. I, I would like it to be its own separate stat. And it honestly, still counts on total yards, yeah. but it doesn't count against rushing. And NFL counts against the passing yards. Uh, I mean, again, splitting hair, it's got to go somewhere unless they do keep, which I've not thought about that, and I think that's a good suggestion. I just think it's ludicrous that that is it. That being said, a little bit of an uphill battle when you look at it, ETSU trying to get on the ground game, just looking at what Chattanooga has done so far this year. And, again, it's easy to look at that lineup. And even Ben Bruton is similar to a Davion Hood, a 225-pound defensive end, which seems like – but the system that they want to do – a weak side in, able to just pin his ears back and try to go hit quarterback. And, you know, linebackers run to the football well. And they are aggressive. Again, not particularly if you just look at pure weights, not beefy, but those are physical players, love to come hit, and are speedy enough to track guys down. So if you can get through the first wave, get downhill, you can have success. We saw ETSU have some success with that. A year ago, when they were able to get downhill, uh, Jacob Sailor's even breaking off a 50-plus yard touchdown run because he was able to kind of get downhill in the same situation. You know, Sailor's 121 yards last year, but that included a 54-yarder. Total rushing yards, 160. Quay Holmes, 65 yards. Well, there's no Quay Holmes. It's just Jacob Sailor's. It's a little bit different set. A little bit different um, setup. Now, ETSU, similar uh, 2018 – Last time Chattanooga was at ETSU. If you look at the first, I think it's eight possessions for Chattanooga in the first. They had eight first half possessions the first half with Nick Tiano at the quarterback. Five punts, three fumbles. ETSU up 14 nothing half, kick a field goal, 17 nothing. Late fourth quarter, all of a sudden Chattanooga, two of the last three drives, touchdown, touchdowns, game ends on downs. They, you know, last play of the game, they didn't score. Then you look last year, it was very similar. ETSU mm-hmm. – First five possessions in the first half. There's a missed field goal. There's an interception. There's a fumble. There's a punt. Then halftime happens. Um, then they kind of got going late, got it to a 2016 score. Onside kick recovered, called for offsides, go back onside kick, not recovered. Chattanooga hangs on to a win. There was an eerily similar situation where Chattanooga took a while to get going in 2018. Same thing, took ETSU a while to get going. And there were a lot of turnovers last year. There were a couple fumbles. There was a turnover on downs. There was an interception. Um, I think Jay Person actually recovered both fumbles in that game last year. That being said, whichever team gets off to that sluggish start, it's been proven because the way the defenses are, it's hard to make a comeback. And the one thing I do know in this series, the last four have been decided in typical ETSU fashion, a one-score game. Seven points, four points, three points, five points. Yeah, last three games, since they started playing for the rail, it's a total of 11 points have decided the three games. So, you look at that, I mean... So, whatever we talk about, just disregard everything we talk about. Be prepared for it to be down. A fourth-quarter game, uh, it's going to be a one-score game in the final eight minutes, and uh, Chattanooga has won the last two within the last six minutes, I believe. So... This is going to come down to yeah, the last like thirty seconds with a field goal, and in, in the Thursday night twenty nineteen game didn't play the COVID year, and then, and then last year was what five minutes six six minutes left something like that. Well, and and even you could you know say ETSU 
we had an onside kick chance with a minute to go. Um, we, again, got it, didn't get it, doesn't matter. I There's a lot to – the turnover battle is the big thing, too, if you go back and look at it. <clears throat> in 2017, ETSU lost a turnover battle, lost. In 2018, Chattanooga lost a turnover battle, lost. 2019 and 21, ETSU lost a turnover battle. See a theme here, Keith? Mm-hmm. They lost. So, turnovers with these two teams, as good defensively as they are, are huge. Quarterback play going to be huge. Preston Hutchinson has come in. He's given him uh, a little bit more life. I know Coach Rusty Wright uh, for Chattanooga had him uh, interviewed a couple days ago. It's going to run on a pregame show. He, I, I tried to say maybe that's the biggest difference in the offense. He kind of tamped that down a little bit. I don't know if that's coach speak. I don't know if he's Wanting more out of Hutchinson, I know he commented that the receivers are further along. Clearly, he's got a limb forward and Gino Appleberry, and I think a limb forward had his long streak of scoring two scores in a game broken against Illinois. I think he had like a five-game streak of two touchdowns or more that was broken against Illinois. So even if you go against FCS, he's looking at a five-game streak where he scored two touchdowns or more. You certainly know it's going to start with a limb forward, but with Hutchinson being able to run the football, mm-hmm. runs that read option well does RPO throws, has some aren't strength to them, very smart and calculated. Plus, they've got speed on the outside where they've hit a couple of wide receiver screens for big plays, had a couple touchdowns with them. Uh, the, the one at Eastern Illinois uh, was beautifully executed, caught them in a blitz to that side through a screen, and then there's just white jerseys with a convoy for like 50 yards. So Hutchinson has been a nice change. He's definitely given some dynamics to the offense that Cole Copeland's not had for the last couple of years. Uh Remind me, Jay, what did he do against Illinois? Because I don't believe it was very good. Uh, I can give you the exact numbers. Uh, it, you, it, have the, you have the numbers in front of you. I, I don't. Six of 19. That's not very good. Two interceptions, 49 yards. Yeah. One of the interceptions was, I'm not real sure what was happening. I, 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 I don't know if a guy didn't go the right way or he saw something or heard something or ghosts were that, but that was, it was similar to the Robert Morris where Sheldon Arnold's just kind of – bracket coverage in a guy but there's a guy 10 yards behind him and he basically called a fair catch for an interception it was one of those type plays like he i'm not sure what was going on and it would be fair to say that etsu's defense probably not as good as illinois but better than wofford's eastern illinois or north alabama's definitely definitely better than the fcs's but below illinois yes so i think there's a real opportunity for hutchinson to be gettable shall we say, for ETSU's defense. I think this is somebody that you can coax into mistakes with disguising coverage as well and disguising pressure well and then bringing that pressure and then he panics and he has to get the ball out quickly and suddenly a DB's lurking and just bang, pick jumps a route and is streaking down the sideline. Those are things that can happen in a game like this with a player like this. Hutchinson has been, has been okay, but when he was tested at the peak of being tested as you will be tested at this level against a big 10 team. It didn't go so well. Some of it was bad luck, but some of it was just not being able to, to deliver in that environment against good personnel. And his first test against good personnel was Illinois. So he got thrown in the deep end, but uh, he didn't do that. Great. So I am very intrigued to see how he handles ETSU and how they put him in positions to succeed because if he plays closer to the Illinois game than he did to, say, uh, the North Alabama game, then you might have a little bit of a situation that you got to deal with in Chattanooga at the second half of the year in terms of your quarterback because maybe Hutchinson 
isn't going to deliver for you in the games where he needs to deliver for you. I think that's there is a question that needs to be answered with Chattanooga's quarterback situation this week, and I think that presents an opportunity for the Bucs. It does. I, I will say this. The safety blanket of a limb Ford is certainly one of the best safety blankets. Doesn't hurt. Had. Doesn't I mean, hurt. You know, uh, the numbers he's put up in his career, and I, I probably should print – actually, I'm going to print it out for the broadcast. There's about 15 notes that Jim Horton has in there of different career things that he is tracking down, and some are very impressive. He's mm-hmm. approaching – I think he's almost uh, 240 yards from 2,000. But he had 14 carries, 95 yards against ETSU last year, 49-yard touchdown run. Now, Terrell Price was a nice one-two punch, just like Holmes and Sailors Price. 14 carries, 102 yards. They ran for 235 yards against a defense that really didn't give up a lot of rushing yards mm-hmm. last year. Offenses changed slightly. Cole Copeland in that game only threw 14 passes. That uh, was 8 of 14 for 82 yards. Uh, I don't think both those numbers are going to be true in this game. Number one, uh, and it may be just because of weather. Uh, you know, I say yeah, I was going to say, I don't know how many passes he's going to throw if it's really raining like we think it might rain. Uh, that's the one thing I'm not, not quite sure about. But you look at – both teams last year was so heavy on the run game. Again, ETSU 37 carries 160. Chattanooga 37 carries 235. ETSU averaged four yards a carry, six yards for uh, Chattanooga. Rydell 17 to 29, 182, averaged about 10 yards completion. I mean, Copeland was still averaging 10 yards completion. So bo- both things were a little bit equal. Um, the turnover battle clearly and turnover on downs uh, won by Chattanooga, which was the big reason for that. But a limb mm-hmm. forward. I think it still starts and stops with him. It looks like Chattanooga is not doing, because they want to play a little faster, not doing as much shifting and stuff. Last year, that's really where Chattanooga had an advantage. Two of the long touchdown runs, one by Price, one by Ford, kind of got in a set. Then he ran a motion. They got a guy set. Then they shifted again. Then they quick snap. ETSU out of position twice. You know, trying to, with all the smoke and mirrors, had a little trouble um, keeping up with it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, schematically right sometimes you can drop all the great plays you want to but if you can just confuse the defense enough where you have a numbers game and somebody is unaccounted for or defense you have an offensive guy unaccounted for not a good thing and that's where Chattanooga I thought had some advantage last year as the game went along ETSU adjusted better didn't quite have that but they're going to run that zone outside zone Look for the cutback, all that. And in a rainy day, outside zone cutbacks for a limb forward is going to be very dangerous uh, for the Buccaneers and the backside linebackers, not to overrun – or even backside safety of Mike Price to, to not overrun that. And when a limb puts his foot in the ground, because that's what he's going to do, the old Denver Broncos-style system here, he's going to put his foot in the ground and cut back. If you're not prepared for that in a rainy day and slip or whatever, he just needs a little bit of crease. Ford can run over you, and he certainly can run by you. He is someone that I think ETSU's linebackers are excited to match up with. They want another crack at this guy. Listening to Steve and Scott talk um, on Monday, he wants another – he wants a piece of this guy. Like, he really wants to match up with him, and I think that reflects that entire room is these guys want to go out there and show that Aleem Ford – maybe isn't everything that we're hyping him up to be, that they he can be stopped and they are the group that can stop him. They didn't do it last year, and nobody's done it yet this year. So, I mean, it's a big challenge, but they've got a lot of confidence and they are uh, fired up at the opportunity to go out and get this guy. And I'll tell you this, um, with a rivalry game and with the weather that we have, 
this is a perfect opportunity for unscouted looks. Jason Eck was the offensive coordinator. He's not the head coach at Idaho. He was the offensive coordinator for South Dakota State. And he knew that the game against North Dakota State was probably their most important game of the regular season and that North Dakota State was going to run what it ran and they were not going to do a whole lot different. And uh, he said, okay, well, we know what you're going to do, but you don't know what we're going to do. And so he would do direct snaps to the running back, um, for pass plays in the red zone. Pierre Strong Jr. threw a passing touchdown in the, in, uh, the uh, 2021, fall 2021 game in Brookings. They do all sorts of weird stuff, gadgety stuff uh, with different personnel in different places, places that you haven't seen on film before, uh, different personnel groupings, uh, and then just straight up trickeration. This is the kind of game where given the weather, given the uh the 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 gravity of it as a rivalry game i feel like somebody is going to bring something that we do not have any concept of on film onto the football field saturday afternoon i know coach Nugabauer has tricks up his sleeve that he has held on to this would be the time to do it the only concern would be what is it with weather and is that conducive now if it's something similar to what Eastern Illinois did, now this got called back, but this was a touchdown they had it got called back. They basically faked handoff yeah. right up the middle, yep. faked a reverse, and then the quarterback kind of rolled and the tight end blocked for 1,001, 1,002, got in a the flat. There was zero Chattanooga mocks near him, walked in for the end zone. Problem was, because Devontae Max was so good, they held him, and then uh, it got called back. Plays like that, I think, certainly will work. You go – double pass, you know, something, you know, toss sweep pass or, you know, double revert, some other ball handling things with weather, not sure, misdirection type things, you know, uh, quick count, different set. You know, we saw game one where there's four wide receivers split far out right. Maybe they run the old Emory and Henry play, yeah. you know, he's split lineman, whatever. I mean, I think being creative is Coach Nugabauer likes to be creative, likes to do certain things. I'm curious to see what does Chattanooga, if it's raining, do they attempt to double Will Huzzy because we saw Robert Morris do that and basically take him out of the game. They also doubled Anaj Carter. If they do that, does that free up Noah West, tight end, Jalen Frierson, the backup tight end? Isaiah Wilson has proven he can make plays. And Cam Lewis, kind of the the new um, toy, if you will, on the outside because you put Huzzy in – to me, you go four wide and you put Huzzy and Lewis, each about 6'3", on the outside. And then you got Naj Carter's 5'9", and a little jitterbug, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman-type guy. And then you got Isaiah Wilson, who's just as big and strong as about anybody at six foot and 210 pounds. I mean, you, you got some dangerous things to do. Rydell takes what the defense gives him. My question, I guess, is – does Chattanooga, because they've been so good with the pass rush, because they've been so good in the back end secondary, do they attempt to take Will Huzzy out of it and see if Tyler Rydell can find other people, or do you think Chattanooga rolls the dice and just says, we're going to be who we are? Do you think they need to? Robert Morris needed to double Huzzy. Very good point. They need, And they needed to double Carter. Does Chattanooga, with the talent they have on the back end, and we know it's a, it's a talented group, and... Uh, you know, this is a group that's got some experience. Uh, Cam Brown, Cameron Smith, 
Josh Battle, Telly Plummer's back. Uh, this is a group that's got some experience. It's an older group. It's a talented group. This was maybe the strength of the defense last year was the secondary, as much as we talked about Devontae Maxwell. Like, I think this was the strength of their defense a season ago. Do they need to double anybody? I think you you have that in your back pocket, and if you need to break it out later in the game, you do it. But you start out, this is who we are, and if we need to adjust, then we'll adjust later, and we trust our offense to get back any points that we might give up in the meantime. And it wouldn't shock me, too, in this type of environment that not a lot of man, a lot of zone. Sure. Keep everything in front of you. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't want to slip and fall, and, and, and one big play could go uh, defensively free TSU. First of all, can we – I just want to backtrack for a second. Donovan Manuel, um, I know you want to go FBS, but I don't know that Florida International was where you wanted to go and take a 77 nothing beating to Western Kentucky when you could have been back here playing for a Southern Conference Championship. So, portal people, just be warned. I get, I get that Traymon Shorts went to LSU. I, I would not tell anybody not to go to LSU. I would tell a thousand people not to go to FIU. Mm-hmm. They couldn't yep. even afford equipment to borrow. Butch Davis ended up saying, I, "You can't even get me equipment. I got to leave." I just they were holding on for dear life to beat Bryant it, week one. I just that being said, and here's where I'm going with that: yep. Stephen Scott is about a carbon copy, a younger Jared Folks. You know, yeah. Jared before he was, you know, 57 and in his 12th year of college football. Chandler Martin, by far, has proven to be an athletic freak of nature stud. The difference between Manuel and Martin, Manuel had been starting for a few years, or got some backup time before he got starting in the lineup and really had a feel for understanding the game. Chandler Martin has shown that to me, especially in his adjustments at Furman, where he was able to figure out and stop sort of that read option, especially when he was on the backside, and make one-on-one very athletic tackles against Tyler Huff, who was more athletic in person than he shows on film. Can he mentally be where Donovan Manning was? Because physically, the tools – I think he has better tools than Donovan Manuel because he runs sideline and sideline better. He's as physical as Donovan Manuel, but Manuel had a knack for knowing the game. The one thing that would scare me defensively if you're ETSU, uh, one, if Chattanooga is able just to ram it down ETSU's throat and they're just not that deep at defensive line, that would concern me. The second thing is Chandler Martin because they're going to do some things, I think, to sort of if you have to pick your poison at a linebacker, you've got a two, three-year starter in Jalen Porter. you got a couple-year starter in DeAndre Davis. Steven Scott, I think, shows well physicality on film. The one thing you'd want to test, what, the redshirt freshman? Only four games into a collegiate career and has shown a couple times in Citadel and stuff to not be in the right spot. He would be the one concern I think I would have. Secondary, I feel great about. If ETSU can slow down some of the run, um, and depending on the speed of the game and stuff, defensive line I think can hold. I'm curious to see because I think this is either going to be, and I don't know that he needs a coming out party because he broke school record and tackles already, but you do that in the rail rivalry game against Chattanooga and put a stamp on it, and you're talking about 
possibility of having a four-year guy like a Dylan Weigel that could just put up gaudy Mario Hankerson, which I don't ever mention his name with any linebacker because his numbers are so gaudy. It's hard to even consider a career tackle record like Mario Hankerson, but I'm going to say it. If he comes out here, a double-digit tackle game is in the right spot most of the time. Chandler Martin's got a shot to be one of the more special players to come through. Now, I know in the portal world, people are going to be calling. Stuff stay four years, just like Don Emanuel, get an itch, maybe whatever. But if he stays four years and he has a good game against Chattanooga, I'm going to start maybe my Morrow Hankerson watch, and I never thought I would say that. I think this is the kind of game where you can really make a name for yourself as a young player. These are the games that people remember. These are the games that the fans are going to remember. People listening to this podcast, they're going to remember what you did against Chattanooga. What you did against Mars Hill isn't going to mean much in the grand scheme of things. No disrespect to Mars Hill. I mean, it's a great Division II program, but that's not a, a, a measuring stick for ETSU. That's not where the glory is earned in college football. It's earned against your biggest rival from down the other side of the mountains that um, – kind of, you know, was in the wilderness for a couple of years there between the end of the Huseman era and Rusty Wright coming in to to get this thing going again and believes that they should be, especially now that, you know, two teams that have been perennial top 10 programs in FCS are moving on. Hey, we have an opportunity to be a top 10 program in FCS every year. And by golly, we're going to take it. You have a chance to go out there, put an L on that team's ledger, and if you are a young player that contributes something to that, you're going to get remembered for it. People are going to know who you are, and that's how you build a legacy in college football. And for everything that we talk about, for you know, name, image, and likeness, which is so great for the athletes, I'm so excited and happy that they, they're getting the opportunity to capitalize on, on their notoriety as athletes. For things like the transfer portal that allow college athletes to move around like regular students do, which, you know, I respect that. And, and I think it's important that they have that opportunity. Legacy is still the most important thing for college sports. It's all about the legacy you leave behind and you build that legacy by playing in four of these games and winning four of these games and being an impact player in four of these games. And that is a huge opportunity that's in in front of somebody like Chandler Martin, but it's also in front of every young player on this team. Tyler Rydell is still a sophomore. He's still a guy that has an opportunity to cement a legacy for himself. There are a ton of young guys all over this defense that have the opportunity to make names for themselves that will last them for years and then long outlive their time at ETSU. This is the opportunity that everybody comes to play Division I college football for or college football at any level for. I don't want to leave out um, some receivers for Chattanooga. Uh, They've got seven receivers or five or more catches. So they are spreading the wealth around. Myers leads them, or Mays, excuse me, with uh, nine catches, eight for Phillips and Arnett. Watley with seven. Gibson with six. Ford and Tony each with five. So they share the – this is one of those where there's not number one, and I think that makes it difficult, you know, when you there's not a safety blanket. And you could maybe argue Jamari Myers because he has – or Mays. I keep wanting to call him Myers. It's Mays. Sorry, Mays. But just for the simple reason he gets more targets, if you look at the uh, deeper analytics with the nine catches, maybe that's it. But that makes it dangerous. I think it's going to make ETSU more dangerous on the flip side, where it was early 
all will huzzy last year, all will huzzy. Now you're looking for some other players. Certainly makes the offense more dynamic. And the last thing we'll talk about, special teams. Chattanooga, for whatever reason, has always struggled in the kicking game as far as field goals against ETSU. Overall, generally not, but they have for whatever reason against the Bucks. Tyler Keltner missed a field goal against Chattanooga last year. So how does Andrew Southard, how does Tyler Keltner both kick the ball? How do the long snappers snap the ball in wet weather? How do the punters, how are they going to punt the football in the weather? Yeah. We've seen big plays in the punt return game for both teams. We've also seen Chattanooga fumble a punt and turn it over. But we've also seen ETSU give up a long punt return for big yards. Both kickoff teams. ETSU, I would say, has the advantage there. Chattanooga, I don't know if it's trust your coverage, kick short all the time, or just not the big leg to do it. Either way, they've been pretty good in kickoff coverage. ETSU has been great in the kick return game for a couple years now. But weather, wind, rain, Mm -hmm. all of that. Special teams, sometimes it always goes under the radar. You don't hear a lot about it until it costs you a game one way or another. I think in this condition, this weather, and in some of these rivalry-type games, but especially the weather, we don't know if the wind's going to be whipping. We don't know what the rain's going to do. Can you even kick a ball going one direction, depending on how uh, Hurricane Ivan comes in here or doesn't come in here or the remnants of it? Will the rain be driving rain where – it takes, you know, 10, 15 yards off a punt because of that. Can a punt returner in a driving rainstorm look up and even see the ball? Do you even attempt to catch it and just tell everyone to yell Oski or whatever it is and run away? So either way, I'm just saying I think special teams could be huge. Could be nothing, but it could be huge because of the elements even more so than normal. I miss playing games in the in- – mud pits like this it's not gonna be a mud pit because it's a turf field but you know what i mean these torrential downpours I, I i watched i watched too many games over the last six years in a dome i got soft this is gonna be awesome i can't wait all right so that is a look at etsu chattanooga of course i could have you know it's chattanooga i could have talked about this forever i, I was pretty tame on chat i just want to give myself credit for that i, I, I had think, to hold I, back yeah you definitely went all in on the nuggets we have seen a lot you, you showed a lot of your hand on your play-by-play chart for saturday I like when it gets happy right there, Keith. You'll learn that. All right, this is my uh, Southern Conference Top 25 music band. As we do, we're going to start in the Southern Conference. Get away from the All right, Jane Keith with you here as... I was hoping for like a drum line, like a snare hit at the end. Like, well, let's just... You're coming in crushing my music beds already, Keith. Absolutely, I, I am. Uh, we are going to work on intros and music, okay? We're going to work on intros and music, all right? Keith just got here Monday. It's We're mid-season. He joins the team. We're trying to, trying to make the podcast where we want it to be. That being said, let's talk about the Southern Conference. Five of the SoCon nine squads are ranked or receiving votes in the latest polls. Chattanooga 10th in the coaches, 12th in the stats FCS. Mercer, 13 in both polls. Samford, 19 in coaches, 16 in stats. 
Furman and ETSU both receiving votes. Now, curious to see, obviously, if Furman beats Sanford, they're in. Mm-hmm. If Sanford beats Furman, we're going to get in that in a second. They're going to stay where they are. The question is, what will the committee do if ETSU squeaks by, and what would they do if ETSU manages to win by more than a couple scores, which is almost impossible for ETSU over the last five years? Against, against Chattanooga? Against Chattanooga? Yeah. Um, I think it's something you have to sit up and take note of. It also depends on what else you do because ETSU cannot afford to lose another conference game, I don't think. I, I think Oh no, five, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Five <laughs> five and three. It's like if you go if you go six and two and you win the games, you beat Chattanooga, you beat Sanford, you beat Mercer, I don't know that style points matter. I think the bubble is soft enough this year that you're gonna get in. Well, and you would be on to me you'd be on a seven FCS win streak. Mm-hmm. And you can talk away new staff, new offense. You could talk it away. Yeah. Used up your margin for error early in the year and found a way to get it right and get going. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think if, if you win a, if you win a squeaker, if you win a blowout, I don't know that it necessarily matters all that much as to getting in to the FCS playoffs. Uh, but if you're Sanford and Furman, that is probably an eliminator. Because you imagine somebody somewhere going to pick up another loss, um, maybe two more losses, because I believe both of those teams still have to play Mercer, and both of those teams still have to play Chattanooga. So and Sanford still has ETSU. And Sanford still has ETSU. So I mean, there's there's it's a minefield, it's a minefield out there, and you you don't want to step on one of those things. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the the big eliminator. But ETSU, just win, baby. Just keep winning, and the rest will take care of itself. All right, so I'm going to give you my power rankings. You you, uh, you let me know where I'm wrong. Okay. If I'm wrong. Okay. I'm probably going to be wrong. All right, I got the C word at number one, because now that we're done talking about them in an actual game, I don't have to use their name anymore. So the C word's at one. <laughs> Mercer, two. I got Sanford, three. Furman, four. But honestly, I think that's going to solve itself doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, because of the injury at quarterback, I'm not real sure what Huff's going to do. Now, Wilson did come in. We'll talk about that as we break down each game in just a second, especially that game specifically. Citadel, I've still got five because they have a conference win. I'm still going with that. I got – and then all the teams that haven't lost, six through nine. ETSU, six. Western Carolina, seven. VMI, eight. Wofford, nine. Now, some people are probably – if you're a fan of one of those schools screaming into whatever device you're listening to because ETSU has two conference losses, all those teams have one conference loss. Yeah. And I get that. But I did put Citadel, but they have a win. Nobody else has a win in the league play. So that's why I'm my power rankings clearly shift week to week. I'm not a big picture um, power rankings guy. I'm Look, each week, this is what it is. This is what happens. I do look at past. I don't look at future. So that being said, where am I wrong in the power rankings? Um, what's well, a power ranking, right? It's Jay's power ranking. Jay's so. power rankings. Yeah, let's, let's put that. Jay's power ranking. I, I always feel like power rankings in general, not specifically Jay's power, but power rankings in general are kind of based on, okay, well, what what have you done for me lately? Um, and I, I almost feel like Citadel being there for being there at five for having a conference win is taking a little bit of a big picture view. I might put ETSU ahead of the Citadel. Because I, I think they're a better team, and if they played that game again, it would have a very different outcome. Um, I, I think ETSU showed, finally, the team that we thought we would see at the beginning of the year. And you say, well, they played Robert Morris. Yeah, but if you go in there and it's like 
31-24 with five minutes left, and Robert Morris is in plus territory with the ball trying to tie it. That looks different from going out there and just steamrolling that team, which is what you're supposed to do to a team like that. That is the glimpse of ETSU that we that we wanted to see at the beginning of the year that I think we have a chance to see going forward into the second half of the season. And the Citadel looked lifeless and rudderless when I watched them play Mercer. I just I that was 2 weeks ago, but it was just they did not look like a team that had any any enthusiasm for being back on the football field after winning a game that nobody gave them a chance to win uh, the, on their home field in Charleston the week before, and they got rolled. I think they have a better advantage at home when you get the Corps cadets there, mm-hmm. making a lot of havoc, bringing energy, um, doing what Corps cadets do whenever you're at one of those places. I think they are a little tougher at home than on the road. That being said, they're going to get a few more games at home, and they got the game in ETSU at home. I don't disagree with you. I just went with, am I a homer if I put ETSU over the Citadel team and beat them? I don't think so. Okay. I, I, I like where your head's at. Uh, power, but, power rankings are supposed to be controversial. So right. and you can I, be controversial by putting an 0-2 team ahead of a 1-1 team. I don't and, – and, and the team that beat them. Yeah. Not only that. I was, yeah. But it's a power ranking. It's what have you done for me lately? Top four. There shouldn't be a whole lot of argument. And the bottom three, I don't think, should be a whole lot of argument. You could argue where you put Citadel. That being said, the first game we're going to break down, Mercer at Wofford. Mercer's enjoying the highest national rank they've ever had, clearly clicking on offense. You look mm-hmm. at Fred Payton, ranked sixth in FCS in passion efficiency, seventh in passing touchdowns, zero Zero interceptions in four games. Devron Harper, Ty James, tied for third and fifth, receiving touchdowns apiece. And when we got into Harper being a running back as well, when the offense doesn't do well and they stall, one of the better weapons in the league in Trey Turk. And, again, when you talk punters, it's not sexy, but he's third in FCS, averaging 46 yards a punt. When you can flip a field, if the offense isn't doing anything, Certainly that helps, and Mercer's defense is opportunistic. They are plus four in the turnover margin. Your thoughts on Mercer? I think Mercer is the team that we thought they could be at the beginning of the year. I said that on uh, on the pod earlier this week. I say it again. This is a team I don't think if you just put like receiver A versus receiver A for other teams in the league and go one through 22 on their, their offense, defense too deep, uh, one through 44, I guess. I don't think they come out as the most talented team in the SoCon, even at, at, at a majority of positions uh, or even at many positions. But they are so well coached and they are so confident in what they do that it doesn't matter. They don't make mistakes with the football on offense. They don't make a lot of mistakes on defense. This is a team that is really, really difficult to beat. And it, I think it's going to be another long day for the Terriers on Saturday when this Mercer team comes in there. This is a, this is a good group. This is a group that I, it's, it is, in my mind, watching them play, this is a playoff team. I don't know that they are a quarterfinal team, but this is a playoff team. Wofford comes up just shy of its bid. First win of the season last week would have been a spectacular come from behind. They scored the game's final 13 points, but they ran out of time to complete the comeback. Lost 24-22 at Kennesaw State. Terrier quarterback, and this is impressive to me, Jimmy Wyrick. 
threw for a program best 358 yards, eclipsing that had stood yardage-wise since 1969. Mm-hmm. He completed a record 25 passes. That that record was previously set in 1951. Yeah, that's the last 20, time. Wa- 25 passes. Say, that's the last time Wofford played a conventional offense. Wofford is minus three in their turnover margin and have not forced an interception this year. So the ultimate question I'm going to get here, Mercer's clearly favored. Mercer's mm-hmm. clearly better. What has to happen besides the apocalypse to Wofford pick up a win? It is at home, but what have to happen? And weathered sloppy, supposedly. Because they're going to be in Spartanburg. It's not that far from Johnson City. They're going to tee it up and kick it off, I think, at one thirty. Yeah. So, what had my ultimate question for this game? Is it – it's not impossible because every – you know, sports is never impossible. What in the world would have to happen for Wofford to win? Fred Payton can't play. If, Fred, if, if, Fred, if Payton, Fred gets out there on crutches, you're if, like, good. If Fred good. Payton can't play <laughs> for whatever reason – it could be it could be any number of reasons. He could you know he could hit his hand on a helmet. He could have he could eat a bad pizza. You know like he could do anything. I mean, if Fred Payton doesn't play, Wofford has a chance. If Fred Payton plays, it is over after the first quarter. I think. All right, let's move on to the next game. VMI West Carolina. VMI is the final team to open SoCon play. The Keydets are paced on defense by one of the greatest names for a linebacker ever, Stone Snyder, who's in his, I think, finally his last year there. He's been there for a long time. He shares the FCS lead with 12 tackles per game. VMI minus four in a turnover battle. They struggle to run the football just 86 yards a game. They're converting under 30% on third down. I think they did show tremendous fight against the Big Red of Cornell. They were down 28-2 to going into the fourth quarter, rattled off 20 straight points, but similar to Wofford, just ran out of time. Uh, but, again, VMI battled, still trying to figure out. They had a mass exodus, offensive coordinator, offensive lineman, two receivers. Most went to Richmond, where they reunited all together with Reese Udinsky, who transferred for the Spiders. Western Carolina, Kerwin Bell seeking, it's hard to believe, his 100th career win. I thought he'd have more than that, uh, unless he had to vacate some wins, which sounds right, too. Uh, the Catamounts, they will host VMI, right? So Western was held out of the end zone last week in a 35-12 setback. Give Richard McCollum a lot of credit. He was asked to kick four field goals. He made good on all four field goals. He has a streak of 19 consecutive makes. The Catamounts moved the ball well. They had almost 500 yards of total offense, mm-hmm. but they settled for – Field goals, or they turned it over in the red zone. They are going to need touchdowns to beat VMI. Field goals will not beat VMI. So, two questions. One, will Western Carolina find the end zone? And two, West Carolina not particularly great on defense. Will VMI find a running game? I, I think VMI needs to figure out who their quarterback's going to be because there does seem to be some uncertainty there. I mean, uh, uh, Seth Morgan got hurt. Uh, against uh, Cornell and and Colin Ironside is more of a running quarterback and you know they want to chunk it around with, with Coach Walkenheim and he has as you talk about great names for like military academy guys Colin Ironside has got to be top of the list Stone Snyder and Colin Ironside Stone Snyder and Colin gets. Ironside yeah I mean um, I remember when uh, was it Michael Ironside was in Starship Troopers and they they called him it was uh, Sergeant Razak Razak's Roughnecks it's like why why not just Ironside. Why not just go with his actual name? I think that's cooler. But anyway, um, Colin Ironside, yeah, he showed some upside as the backup to Seth Morgan last year. Morgan gets hurt. He comes in. He leads the comeback. I don't know what Morgan's status is. We don't know yet. 
Yeah, they haven't put out a, a, a too deep or an injury report for this week or anything of that sort. So we don't we don't know for sure. Um, is Ironside the guy if Morgan is healthy or is it an open competition right now? I think if you're VMI, you have the opportunity because this team isn't particularly good. And, and I think it's it's okay to acknowledge that this team needs to take a year off and recuperate and get the personnel back in place to be competitive at the top of the or in the upper middle of the SoCon again, um, because this is a program that traditionally fantasizes about that. It is the it is dreaming the impossible dream by saying we'd like to win more games than we lose in conference, um, and they did that last year. And, and Scott Wagenheim has done a great job there the last two years. Now you are at a point where you got to reload a little bit. You got to identify some key pieces. I think it's okay, but you, the first the first piece you got to identify is your quarterback. Is it Ironside? Is it Morgan? How does that impact the way you play this game on Saturday? And I, I think the level of uncertainty that VMI faces with some of their key personnel overcomes the fact that they're coming off a bye, they should have the fresher legs, and Western Carolina is going to have a bee in its bonnet about the way that game went down last week. They feel like they should have performed better. I'm inclined to agree. Um, I, I think at some key junctures, Maybe the ball was taken out of the hands of the players that had the chance to make the best impact on the game. Uh, so that is uh, that. That's a matchup. I, I I I'm feeling catamounts here. I I like that group though. I I like what Coach Bell is putting together on the field. Um, and I think that is a group that is going to have its ups and downs, but they have a little bit more of an identity than maybe they've had in the past with the way they want to play, the style they want to play. Not like a lighted up offense, but just the intensity that they play with. Uh, I think is a little bit different than what they've had in the recent past. So VMI's in a weird spot. Western Carolina's in a weird spot, but I think the Cats are a little farther along their timeline. We're not going to spend much time on this one, but I will drop some knowledge on you. Citadel non-conference game at Appalachian State. The Bulldogs won the final two meetings in the series before the Mountaineers made the move to FBS. But, but, but those Mountaineers are pretty mad right now. Well, I'm just, I mean, <laughs> ah, they were up 28 to 3. If there was a time to ever catch the Mountaineers, it's certainly not off a 28 3 lead that lost to JMU. As, there's not much really to break down in this one whatsoever. Um, App has been one of the more entertaining teams in America, period. The end of the North Carolina game and all that went on there, the big upset over mm. Texas A&M, then they get college game day, then they get the Hail Mary against Troy, then they somehow lose the game against JMU. It has been an up-and-down four-game stretch, but if you're the Citadel, you certainly did not want a very mad Appalachian State team. You needed them to be partying hardy and feeling great about themselves, about JMU, not taking you seriously, and maybe you could stay in it. That being said, this could be over quickly, and hopefully it doesn't get too ugly. Yeah, I, I think they're going to, after three quarters going up against a mad, motivated App State, they're going to fall apart like the Duck Pond, Duck Pond baby sculpture after they beat A&M. That's, it's, it's going to be ugly. Touchdown Yosef will be doing that a lot, uh, I think, in that game. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the uh, exciting game besides ETSU Chattanooga, the one I think most people will pay attention to. It is Samford. They are at Furman in Greenville, South Carolina. Sanford claimed the Southern Conference Offensive and Defensive Player of the Week after the 35-12 win over the Catamounts. Michael Ayers continues to impress. He completed 80% of his passes, 292 yards, four scores. Isaiah Richardson made eight tackles, picked off a pass in the end zone, which was one of the odder 
balls that were picked off due to West Carolina kind of guy diving to the ground. I think it was Raphael Williams, and then it kind of just popped up and bounced around, and he was a recipient of it. But still, an interception that uh, turned Western Carolina away in the fourth quarter. Hires and Chandler Smith, the most dynamic passing duo for touchdowns, six they've combined for this year, just behind Fred Payton and Ty James's five. The biggest change for the Bulldogs is on defense. They're giving up 22.5 points per game compared to 40 yeah. last season and 35 over the last four seasons combined. So clearly, Sanford has put an emphasis on defense. Furman saw sophomore quarterback Jace Wilson come off the bench to run for two touchdowns through for another. Paladins rallied from nine points down against Charleston Southern late third quarter, 24-19 victory. Obviously, the first question is Tyler Huff. What is his status? Second question, can Jace Wilson continue to play at a high level? And in third, is Sanford's defense for real? I think Sanford's defense is for real. I think this is a group that they're going to have some inconsistencies, right? They're going to be some ups and downs, but this there's just too much talent there. Coach Hatcher took to the portal and said, we are going to go find the best players that we can possibly find and assemble them into a defense. He knew he needed to work on his defense. He thought he had some pretty good offensive personnel, knew he had to get better on defense, and he was aggressive. He was he he displayed ruthless aggression in the transfer portal. There you go. There's there's a wrestling reference for you. For oh, you've time. done a lot. We've you've 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 sang a show tune. Uh-huh. Uh, you've, you've dropped uh, sci-fi references that I have no idea what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and you've uh, got wrestling in here. This is you've elevated. Uh, I'm going to stay on my toes and and learn pop culture because I, I was an English. I don't, yeah, I don't know if Keith remembers, but I'm very not very not good at pop culture. I, I, I got use- I got published in the Mockingbird. I'm pretty well versed in a lot of things, so I think we're published in the Mockingbird. Do I know what that is? The answer is no. Do you uh, not know what the the publication that the English department puts out every year? I'm a published poet, Jay, and this school put me in print. Come on, man. Come on. You're going to kneecap my credibility on <laughs> Listen, we have a whole segment called Jay Knows the English Language because, you know, I don't know the English language. And I'm going to send bad messages uh, um, that you're not going to understand. Yes. Th- this has happened many times over the last uh, 10 years. Uh, but, yeah, Samford, I think, is really good. Um, and I think this is a team that we have seen them maybe at their best. We've definitely seen them at their worst. Think about the Tennessee Tech game, right? Muff punt, starts you out in a hole, four three and outs. You get behind schedule, not cashing in on third down, staying on the field, um, and they still found a way to win that game. You play like hot garbage relative to your standard for 58 minutes, and you still find a way to win. That's when you know that you're a good team. Now, you can't, you can't get away with that every week. But you know you have a good team in there, and you just have to tighten some things up. They tightened some things up against Western Carolina last week, and I think we're going to see that on display again this week against the Paladins. Southern Conference is going to be a big weekend, some separation, or at least the standings are going to start to take a little more shape now that league play is going to happen every week for the most part uh, for the rest of the season. Three games, on top, uh, not really top 25, but national that I'm going to pay attention to. North mm-hmm. Carolina Central Campbell, and I know a lot of people are like, I'm sorry, who and who? North Carolina Central is yeah. 4-0. Okay, that's good. Campbell, that? not sure exactly. You know, they had the win against the Citadel, but they've struggled the next two after that. They have a ton of good young talent in Bowie's Creek. They had a massive recruiting class. Minter uh, has done a great job bringing in just really high-level recruits, and you're thinking, man, where are they getting these guys? And it's just – it's it's 
really cool to watch. And that team is going to be a team that we won't get to watch in the CAA because, you know, their streaming platform is very obscure. But anyway. Ivy League, Holy Cross, and Harvard. Well, yes. Not, Holy Cross, not in Ivy League, but still. Yeah. Holy Cross uh, that versus was, Harvard. That one's on my list, too. I, I'm huge fan of what Bob Chesney's doing in, in Worcester. I really think that's a good group. They beat Buffalo earlier this year, which is a nice feather in their cap. Uh, I am intrigued to see what they do against a team that is traditionally one of the better teams in the Ivy League in Harvard that's off to an okay start. And in, I think in the CAA, huge game. It's Richmond at Elon. Richmond's mm-hmm. ranked, but Elon's starting to make a little bit of noise. Are the Phoenix for real? Uh, who who they played and who they beat? I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go Jay Billis on you. Who well, you played? Who have you beat? Well, they beat Wofford, which doesn't do a whole whoa, lot for me. Whoa, dude! All right, they lost to Vanderbilt, 42-31. Okay. They beat Wofford, 26 nothing, which that's what the score should be. Mm, yeah. They beat Gardner Webb, 30 to 24, and they beat Bill and Mary on the road, 35-31. That's a nice win. So okay, and then they got Richmond. So if they beat Richmond. Then, the Phoenix for then, real. then it's then it's at that point you're like, okay, this is a team we have to, to take very seriously for a playoff spot. I think the winner of that game is in a really good position to make the postseason, and the loser is going to have a lot of additional work to do because you've missed a big opportunity. The only and, and I don't know what this will mean in any type of world, but I will be curious. Stephen F. Austin at Sam Houston. Stephen F. Austin two and two. Of course, they, the, we, the we made last, fun the ninety and the one last two battle of the Piney Woods? Question mark. Yeah, the last one, it matters. Yeah. I, well, I mean, they already don't matter because Sam Houston is going to the that's playoffs. That's true. Yeah, that's right. They already started the transition. So, And teams that, that are doing that transition, we saw it for Southern Conference people, saw it with Georgia Southern, saw it with App State. They got hammered in the Southern Conference um, the last couple times that they were in a battle yeah. with it because they weren't playing for anything. They weren't doing anything. Yep. And then, of course, those teams went out there. Is there any other game that you had on your radar that I should be aware of and pay attention to or slip through the cracks? Uh, Missouri State at UND should be a fun one. I think UND has a very good chance to win Agree that game. Agree with that. Um, uh, Southern Illinois at Illinois State. That's a playoff eliminator in my mind. Um, SIU lost to SEMO at home, bounced back, beat UND, and beat Northwestern. Nice pair of wins, so they're back in the mix. And then keep an eye on UC Davis and Montana at Montana State. State. That was the only other one I was going to bring up. UC Davis had a couple close calls that they came out on the wrong end of in Montana State without Tommy Malott. That's a very, very interesting football game on Saturday night. All right, so we're going to go over bold predictions. and just We're going to recap how me and Matt did, and then me and Keith will give you our bold predictions. <laughs> Prediction time with Jane Keith. Uh, Matt Wilson, who pinch hitting for you on your gun. Went in two last week. He got his Miami Dolphins straight up winner against the Buffalo Bills. He also had his Florida Gators a straight up winner. Did not go well. Uh, and he had Cam Lewis two touchdowns, but only one receiving. So I guess he was uh, foreshadowing a trick play that did not happen. Yeah. Or he had other inside info that I didn't have. Uh, I had Tyler Rodell 350 yards passing. That was no bueno. The Lions a straight up winner. Uh, as a touchdown dog at Minnesota, they did cover, but we don't get credit for covers. We get credit for picking the winner. Did not get that. But I did get Notre Dame on the road at North Carolina, and Mac Brown uh, not happy uh, with uh, one of the calls, at least, that made a round. So got that. I am 3-10 and 10 on the season. Matt will end uh, his uh, – 
career at what? One and nine. One and eight. One and eight. One and eight. One and eight. There we go. One and eight. One and eight. Three and ten, one and eight. So you inherit a one and eight record. What do you think of that? Okay. Bold prediction since you're a newbie. I'm going to go ahead and jump in first. I'm going to say, with all the love that has been given out to Will Huzzy and Anaj Carter, that it will be Isaiah Wilson that will come up with a big touchdown catch against the Chattanooga Mocs. So I'm going Isaiah Wilson finds the end zone for the first time this year. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the defensive side. Steven Scott has been chomping at the bit to match up with a limb forward to try to crack this run game. This whole group, this whole defensive front, I think, shares that mindset. I'm going to specifically highlight Steven, though. Steven Scott gets at least one TFL specifically on a limb forward on Saturday. Ooh, that's good. I like the very specific pick. Specificity, yes. I'm going to go, and people are, are probably going to, if they're driving, maybe run off the road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Wofford here, not to win the game. Wofford has not picked off a pass all season. Fred Payton has not thrown an interception all season. Correct. I am going to go. Wofford is going to pick off a Fred Payton pass in the elements in Spartanburg, South Carolina. You know, I was going to go with something to do with Iowa scoring touchdowns because I, like you, am a college football sicko. But now I just kind of want to spite you. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to double down on this. Mercer does not make mistakes. Fred Payton will not throw a pick in the entire month of October. Wow. So they t- not October 1 through so there's you know possibly five Saturdays there, right? Is my math correct? I believe so. Wow. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to write all this down. This is shocking to me. Fred Payton, <laughs> no. I, so he's basically going to go, what is that, eight games? No, nine games? Nine games before uh, no INT? He well, might fumble. He, he, now, now he, fair, can, he can fumble. No, he no, can no. Fumble. I got Fumbles that. I got fine. And he could have a buy in there. But still, either yeah. way, either way, no INT month of October. Holy cow. That's a good one. Okay. You I'll, wanted bold. This yeah. is bold predictions. Yeah, I hope Uncle Steve's not listening to this because he has a long-standing rivalry with his brother, uh, my Uncle Dave, because one is an Alabama fan and has been able to rule the roost while the other is an Arkansas Razorback fan. It's in Fayetteville. Bama's a touchdown or more favored. Mm-hmm. I'm going Uncle Dave for the first time in a long time can crow, and the Arkansas Razorbacks are going to pull off the upset in the SEC West. Straight-up winner over Alabama. Montana State doesn't have Tommy Malott from the sound of it. Um, he touchdown, was, Tommy. Yeah, touchdown, Tommy. Uh, doesn't sound like he's going to play this week. Um, and they are uh, they are already uh, looking ahead to what their other options are going to be. He was actually ruled out on Tuesday. Like, it was very early in the week. They said, yeah, he's not going to play. That tells me that he's probably not going to play for a while. UC Davis is a team that's had some close calls. I like some of their pieces. They're well coached. Dan Hawkins is going to deliver at some point. And what better time to show people that the big sky is deeper than it appears than by going into Bozeman and beating a Montana State team with a bad wing. UC Davis wins at Montana State Saturday night straight up. First of all, I love Bozeman. Great town. Los Angeles. Great town. And uh, I love the pick. So UC Davis has been getting a lot of love, especially from uh, BMAC. 
Ron McLaughlin, we got to have on the show sometime. Yes, we got to get him lined up. That, is, was that bold enough for first I, bold predictions? Yeah, no, no. The Fred Payton one. Probably needs to go on a board somewhere. That includes, That's all I'm saying. That, that, includes, on the board. that includes ETSU and Chattanooga on the schedule, by the way. So. That's got to go on a board somewhere. <laughs> if he go, y'all, I don't want to say emeritus status, but, I mean, holy cow. Uh, <laughs> that is bold. All right, we'll be back Monday. We're going to recap all the Southern Conference action. We'll go in-depth ETSU Chattanooga. We'll look at national games. We'll take a look at our bold predictions recap, and we'll start to line things up for the following week for ETSU VMI. All that coming up on Monday on another edition of Jane Keith, Buccaneer Sports Network. Bye.